Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for the Washington Post. Coming to you with a fun podcast today on the eve of free agency. We're going to talk to uh, Nate Duncan from the Dunked On podcast, my good friend and one of the foremost uh, cap experts that there is. Um, going to talk to him about the mock off season that his podcast did uh, with Danny LaRue, his usual co-host, and then Kevin Pelton from ESPN and Dan Feldman from NBC Sports. Uh, those guys do one of the most fun podcasts for basketball nerds uh, every offseason. Uh, they go through and they mock out the entire summer uh, for doing trades and trade signings and, and do a nice job of uh, accurately, I think, um, laying out what the market is going to look like for teams and uh, what the, you know, kind of how the process is going to play out. It's, it's uh, you know, it's a mock exercise, so it's not always perfect, but it's a good uh, look into, you know, what I think is going to become the dominant theme of the summer pretty quickly, which is that you're going to run out of, uh, you're going to run out of money really fast. And, you know, last, last summer, there was somewhere near a billion dollars, uh, somewhere between 900 and a billion dollars in open money on the market. This year, there's going to be 300 million. And that's a huge drop. And you're going to see, I think, a lot of guys who think they're going to get paid, quickly realize that if they didn't grab an offer right away, they're, they're going to be looking at a much smaller deal than they anticipated. So you know, Nate and I got into that and talked a lot about some of the top free agents, where they might go, how it might play out, and I think it'll be a really fun listen. And uh, you should definitely go to the Dunked On Pod and, and check out uh, the mock offseason, which I'll have a link to in the, the bio for, uh, for this podcast on our website. So uh, definitely check that out. And with that, let's get to my conversation with Nate. All right, Nate, thanks for coming on. Uh, I'm surprised, though, that you're able to talk after uh, – after playing the agent for four hours or whatever it was in the, uh, the latest edition of the mock off season. Yeah. You know, actually doing the Twitter NBA show for six hours a night actually kind of, (laughs) kind of warmed up my vocal cords a little bit. So I'm actually uh, feeling quite spry at the moment. I suppose that's true. I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't even put that together. So uh, obviously I said this in the intro, but uh, anybody who's a basketball fan uh, who's into free agency, which seems to be just about everybody at this point, uh, should go listen to uh, the Dunked On Pod breakdown of uh, the mock off season, uh, which these guys, the Danny, Danny LaRue, Kevin Pelton, Dan Feldman, and Nate went through pretty much every relevant player and signed them somewhere this summer. Um, and I, I wanted to have you on, Nate, because I, I, I think we've, I think we've all kind of agreed over the last couple of years it's been a good uh, exercise to kind of have an idea of what's to come in free agency. So. You know what? What was your biggest takeaway from uh, from doing it and kind of seeing how everything played out? Yeah, I think it, my biggest takeaway was that there is going to be a cutoff point in the market this year in ways that there have not been the last two years. Twenty fifteen, number one, a lot of teams had cap space. Number two, everyone knew the cap was going up, so basically you, know, you could sign guys for the max, and it would still be a good contract because the cap was going up so much so everyone was really it was a very player friendly market and then obviously last year 27 out of the 30 teams used cap space there was a, a ton of room out there as well so this year there's about 40 percent as much room as there was last year despite the fact that the cap has gone up 5 million uh at one point this time last year it was projected to be 108 uh but teams spent so much this year that it actually lowered that projection because a lot of that was due to a shortfall. And so what we saw really is once you get down to kind of the lower end guys you would think of as starters, a, a George Hill type, for example, like we saw like the three kind of main free agents, point guards who aren't superstars. I would say Drew Holiday, Jeff Teague and George Hill. Holiday got paid pretty well. Jeff Teague got paid maybe a little less than he might be thinking he's going to get paid. And then George Hill, like the market really dried up for him, you know, and and part of that is because of so many point guards got drafted as well. So again, this is not a perfect exercise, but at a lot of the positions, all right, the first two, three guys in the market, maybe they'll get their four year deals for, you know, 20 million a year or something like that, you know, a little bit more than that. But then there's a point at which it's going to drop off a lot sooner then where you're going to see guys like Evan Turner, who, you know, who are like the 10th best swing man on the market, getting starter type money of 15 million a year or more. Yeah, no, I, that was the, that was my biggest takeaway was um, just kind of seeing how, you know, before you really got that far into it, the money really dried up. And I thought, 
I thought the way that point guard market played out pretty well where, you know, George Hill's a guy who turned down a multi-year extension with the Jazz. And, you know, by the time you guys got to him after Drew had signed with the Wolves and Jeff Teague had signed with the Pelicans, um, you know, Hill was really left to basically, you know, have to take a, a pretty mediocre offer from the Spurs two years for 37 with only the second year uh, with the second year only partially guaranteed because there just basically wasn't another team that was interested in signing him. Yeah, and now it's interesting to say, too, I mean, we kind of have our rankings of what it were. There's only four of us, so there's probably a lot more groupthink among the four of us in terms of what guys were worth, whereas there are 30 teams, 30 different player evaluations, and I think we're going to see because the most recent precedent of what guys got paid in 2016 was so high you know, guys are just not going to get that much, but a lot of people don't know that yet. And so teams may not know that players may not know that. And so I think we're going to see some mistakes potentially very early in the process. You know, George Hill turned down what would have been a three year renegotiation and extension that could have had almost 80 million in new money. You know, we didn't see him getting that, but maybe some team and maybe he turned that down knowing that there was some team out there that was willing to, to beat that offer. And, you know, maybe some people think George Hill is better than Jeff T. You know, that kind of stuff, you never know. But just in the aggregate, I think it's going to cut off somewhere for some players. There's not enough money for all of these guys who were thinking like, all right, I, I was a starter last year. I'm going to get $20 million a year. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And I, I think, you know, I, I think the point guard market especially is going to be interesting because, as you mentioned, you, you kind of look around the league and, you know, Dennis Smith went to Dallas. De'Aaron Fox went to uh, the Kings. Uh, Markel Fultz went to the Sixers. There's three teams that were potentially yeah. – Lonzo Ball went to the Lakers. There's four teams. Nilakina to the Knicks. Right. Nilakina to the Knicks too. And while they're probably going to want to sign a point guard, you know, all those teams at least have an option there where if they just decide they want to play a young guy for cheap, they can do that. And so, you know, it is going to be really fascinating to see, you know, what those three guys have in the market, what, um, you know, what Ricky Rubio's trade value is going to be if the Wolves decide to try to move on from him. Uh, it, it will, to me, that, that was really one of the things that really stood out because, um, you know, that in, that in the center market in the same, same order, um, because for a lot, of the, a lot of these teams, as we've talked about, you know, for a while now, just about everybody has bigs and, you know, I thought like Serge Ibaka getting three for 48 was less than I expected. And, um, you know, like Taj Gibson getting three for 30 with a team option on his contract. Like those are deals. that I think if you told those guys a year ago, that's what you're going to sign for. And who knows, maybe they'll end up being way more than that. But if they, if they end up with deals around there, I think those guys are going to be sorely disappointed from where they thought they were going to be say 12 or 24 months ago. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think the other thing that was interesting, you know, you mentioned the point guards, for example. Yeah, some of those teams aren't maybe you don't want to start a rookie, although they've it seems like in Sacramento and Dallas they will be doing that and L.A. as well. So I think that it's really maybe what we'll see, too, is just less years for a lot of these guys. Right. right. Uh, and, you know, like we with all, that's what really happened lower down in the market as well. Now, again, I will stress that we're probably more conservative than a lot of GMs, especially in terms of years. And also that some GMs could just say, oh, this is the market last year. Let's you know make a deal for this guy as well. So that's something that could happen pretty easily. And another one, too, that's going to be interesting is the guys on the restricted market. Because usually what you'll see in terms of that is since they can't get an offer sheet matched until July 8th, they can sign offer sheets earlier, but still teams don't, don't want to tie up their cap space that early in the process. So really right. the new changes haven't changed that much about it. Uh, that teams usually negotiate with their own restricted free agents first and try to just come to an agreement. And for the teams that uh, and players that can't do that, there's not going to be enough money out there on the restricted market for the players who don't come to that agreement to get an offer sheet. And then we could see more of these stalemates where it's like, oh, well, you're offering me that, then I'll just take the qualifying offer. You know, I think we'll see a lot of those type of situations develop if, in fact, some of these teams are trying to be a little bit more fiscally prudent with these free agents and say, all right, yeah, where is this other offer that you're getting? Yeah, and that, that was something I thought was interesting, too. Like, I thought, you know, you guys had both uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Otto Porter taking uh, pretty close to the max for five years, but not 
not quite the max uh, and without an option, which I, which I think is both fairly realistic. And then, you know, you go, like you said, you kind of go through the rest of these restricted guys and, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of money left over for them. And I, I think it does kind of mirror, like you said at the beginning, it does kind of mirror the rest of the market where if you're at the top of the market, you're going to get paid because you always get paid. But everybody else is going to be kind of fighting for what's left. And, you know, it might be, might be like you said at the beginning, like I think back to when, um, I was covering the Nets and Gerald Wallace got a four-year, $40 million contract right out of the gate out of free agency because the Nets needed to keep him in their minds to keep Darren Williams. And they didn't have time to let the market settle. And I think the teams that probably sit back and kind of let things settle out a little bit could find out, could find themselves really getting some nice bargains, say on July 8th, when, you know, the little money that was there dries up. And then there's a lot of guys searching around for homes that don't have uh, great options in front of them. Yeah, I think so. And, with the restricted fridge, for example, it only takes one team, right? But the the number of those is limited. Like Nerland Noel with the Mavericks is a great example, right? They traded for him. They view him as part of the future. You know, it seems like something fair for him would be in the fourteen to twenty million dollar range. So is Dallas going to try and negotiate there? And then does he have another offer out there? In our scenario, you know, the Suns is really the only team that needs a center, but they red flagged him in the draft. So that's probably not an option. And then in our scenario, Paul Millsap left Atlanta. And so they had some money and they were willing to give him an offer to give him some leverage to resign with the Mavs. But, you know, those are kind of the only two teams you can come up with for him. So it's kind of difficult to say whether he's going to have much leverage. And then, you know, at some point he can say, all right, well, I'll just take the qualifying offer. And, and you know, that's an amount of leverage as well. So you've got to pay something you can't just not give them a good contract offer but the teams i think will have more leverage in some of these situations mason Plumley, yeah another guy bring up mason i thought that was a perfect example of that yeah where again the the center market especially for a guy who's 28 doesn't have a ton of upside but certainly his own belief was hey i started you know you you put yusuf nurkic who played great in portland and a first round pick to come and get me as a restricted free agent i've got some leverage over you denver that way but, you know, this is his one chance to get paid in his career probably at, at age 28. So there's going to be a lot of different moving parts with someone like him. But, again, I, I struggle to find exactly where the leverage is going to be. But then again, you know, I might have a different opinion of Mason Plumley. But, you know, if there are five of these guys, Alex Len would be another one of those guys, right? If there are four of those type of centers on the restricted free agent market, maybe two of them get what they're hoping for. They might get an offer sheet and then the other two could languish. Yeah, no, I, I totally uh, I, I totally agree. Um, one of the more interesting guys I thought during your during the, your whole process was Kyle Lowry. I mean, that's a guy who has been an All NBA player or that that caliber the last couple of years in Toronto is certainly a guy that expected to get um, you know a max type offer this summer, uh, either four years from somebody else or five years from the uh, um, from the from the Raptors and. You know, as we talked about the point car market before, you know, he ended up with the Raptors at four for 100s. You guys had to kind of rework things a little bit because of the Chris Paul trade. Um, but I, I, I just, I, I, he's another one of these guys that even though he's at the top of the market, um, it, I, it really did kind of stand out to me that I'm not sure, you know, what kind of leverage he's really going to have because, um, you know, unless, unless some new team emerges that, that really makes a run at him, it just doesn't seem like he has a lot of suitors at the price range he was initially looking for. Well, you talk to more people than I do just in terms of like, hey, where might be a destination for this guy in terms of just like, you know, the actual facts of who's talking to who and who do you see as a realistic destination for him outside of returning to Toronto? I Honestly, man, I don't really see one, which is kind of crazy, but I, I don't I, I've never really thought he was a great fit in San Antonio um, and they'd have to move a lot of money around to try to make that work. Um, I suppose they could still get in the mix, especially if his price drops a little bit from where it was expected to be. Um, but I mean, I went through I went through all the teams today, and you know, there's only a few you can really think of that need a point guard. You'd say Chicago, but they're not going to spend money on a max guy, assuming they they do wave Rage on Rondo. Um, you know, Houston signed somebody. Indiana's going to need a point guard, but again, they're not going to. I can't imagine they're going to go sign uh, Kyle Lowry for the max, especially with uh, Paul George's situation where it is. Um, you know, Minnesota could be potentially be in the mix for a point guard. Maybe they would be interested in Lowry, but you know, again, to get, you know, to get to even the money that you guys gave Drew Holiday, which is four for 
a buck eleven, uh, they had to jump through several hoops just to get to there. Yeah, yeah so, Minnesota eighteen. I have them at eighteen point eight million in space, but they could get off a of Cole Aldrich is seven million, and then you know if they wanted to trade Rubio to the Jazz and get off of that money, I think it'd be realistic for them to get up you know above thirty five million. But again, you know, are they? I don't see them offering Lowry the max. I don't see any of these teams saying, "Hey, this guy's 31. Let's offer him the max here." Maybe the Knicks could get into that yeah, discussion I mean, now, I was but they'd gonna, have to clear cap. Yeah, they'd have to clear cap. I mean, really, I think it's if Minnesota and the Knicks get in the mix. I think those are the two teams, and I guess maybe Portland or maybe San Antonio if they really decide to get in the mix. Those are the three teams that I could see potentially really deciding to make a run at him. Um, but like you said, I think. It's complicated math for all those teams. You know, Phil Jackson just left the Knicks. They obviously are going to try to rebuild around Porzingis and Nilakina and, and assuming whoever they draft next year high in the first round. Um, you know, so I doubt they're going to spend big money on a guy. Like, I could see Tom Thibodeau spending big money on Lowry because they're kind of pushing their chips in. Uh, but it, it, this is kind of instructive to what I was thinking as I was listening to it because it was kind of when you saw Markel Fultz go to Philly, that was always the team that was kind of pegged as this team would make sense for Lowry. And when they got faults, that kind of scratched them off the list. And now, like, you just look around and, and yeah. it's Houston kind of hard to Houston could have been a destination. Right. Yeah. And now they got Chris Ball. Yeah, so it definitely seems like I don't see any of these teams in free agency that are going to give him the max, I mean, especially because his max is $35 million. I mean, that's just a, a, a huge amount and – uh, what did you think? We should talk about our old buddy, uh, Paul Millsap, since you and I <laughs> have, have that bet about him. I think I bet you at a game like during the middle of the year yeah. this year that Paul Millsap would not get a full max. It certainly appears that that offer will not materialize in Atlanta now with uh, Travis Schlenk basically saying as much <laughs> yeah. in the, the media. Uh, but uh, I and we ended up actually in my mock off season, I would have lost the bet. He went to Denver for the full max. Do you see that happening with him too? Or is, or is there a, cause he's 32. So that full he, max, I mean, that's look, a four year, $149 million contract. That's I have, insane. I have said, it's funny. We've made that bet because even at the time, I think I said it would be insane for someone to do that. And I think that would instantly become one of the five worst contracts in the league if it was signed. And that that's no, that's no fault of Millsaps. Who's a, a wonderful player, but like you said, he's 32 He's had some knee issues. He's had some shoulder issues, and he's a smaller guy playing power forward anyway. And I, that just that contract's going to be really awful in a couple of years. Um, maybe as soon as the second year, uh, if not the latter part of the first one. Um, but all that being said, I do think still that there's a better chance of him getting that deal than not because there are a lot of teams that are looking for that kind of a player. And you know, I think Denver in particular, where he wound up in the mock off season. I mean, you look at Denver's roster. They desperately need a guy like Millsap. They've tried to trade for him. And look, let's be honest, that's not exactly a marquee destination, right? So I think for them or a team like Minnesota, which also has a spot, you know, where they could use a stretch four who could, you know, kind of be the player Millsap is. I think teams like that in, in less desirable markets could sign themselves up for a pretty ugly contract by by chasing after him. Um, and, and also, like, I, I don't, like, I could see Millsap taking less than the max if there is a team, uh, if there was a, a contending team that would be interested in potentially um, in potentially giving him, uh, you know, some kind of a, you know, I don't know, like Lowry got four for 100 from the Raptors. I mean, if there was a contender that was willing to do a deal like that with him, uh, I think he might be amenable to it. But in looking around, it's hard for me to see the kind of team that would really make sense for him to, to take a discount for. Um, which is why I think it's more likely that he ends up, you know, taking the money and and going to a place like Denver or Minnesota for the max. Yeah, I think, I think so. And Minnesota to give him the max would have to really clear out space. I mean, I could see maybe maybe if they move on from Aldrich and Rubio, you know, I guess they could get there, but they still would need a point guard in that right. situation. So I think they would have to preserve some cash for that as well, or if they retained Rubio I mean that would be an awful shooting team but then maybe they could offer him you know a four-year deal starting at like 26 million so that that would get up to like four years 111 so yeah it'd be interesting to see whether Denver I mean you would have to imagine if, if he's going to go to Denver it would take the full max or close to it uh he's a little in a little different situation because it sounds like you know the offer from the Hawks may not be competitive 
you know, I, I don't see the Hawks going more than maybe like four years, hundred million. I don't even think they're. Him. I don't even think they're going to offer that much personally. Yeah, no, no, I mean, I, you, you may be right. Yeah, I, it seems it seems like Travis. I mean, when Travis when Travis said, uh, you know, when Travis said he's going to get bigger offers elsewhere, to me that was a uh, a sign of him saying, you know what, it's been you had a nice run here, Paul, but I'm not going to sign up for a 32 year old power forward making you know 25 plus. So yeah. You could see, actually. I mean, it would be interesting to see whether you know Orlando has long coveted him. They've gone after him. I think in free agency twice. Um, you know, if they try to get off some money, they've got about fifteen left right now. Yeah, they could try to, to see them getting in the mix with, It's hard to see them getting in the mix with their new regime too. I mean, that yeah. that that's the kind of place where you'd have more time. I mean, Denver. Yeah, that's the old regime, right? Done. Right in Denver, and, well, and I don't even mean because those guys don't like him. Just they have time, right? Like you look at yeah. Denver, they're, that's a team that needs to make the playoffs. I mean, that's an owner that wants his team in the playoffs. That you know is a front office that that I think is under a little bit of pressure. Um, you know, if they flame out again next year yeah. and don't make well, the playoffs. they did just they did just promote everybody there, but they uh, did. But that that was kind of a a bogus promotion. Uh, yeah. You know, it was one of those things where uh, I think you know I think Arturis Karnishevis, who got promoted to GM, I, you know. I don't think he was going to get offered the Bucks job, but I, I think they just kind of promoted everybody for the sake of promoting him. I mean, that's kind of the way that's kind of become the invoke thing in the NBA to have a sure. president and then a GM, uh, even though like you could just have a GM and an assistant GM and it's really the same thing. Um, but I mean, you look like the, the Nuggets only have 55 million guaranteed, I think, on their books and they've got what, 13 guys under contract or something, six, 10. Yeah. So like, you know, I don't think anybody really thinks Gallinari is going to be back there. You know, if they, if they, they're going to have to spend money on somebody. So I could see them just saying, you know what, let's just pay Millsap and get a guy in here and make sure we make the playoffs next year. And then we can worry about it later. Um, because I do think that if they, yeah. if they do miss the playoffs next year, a lot of their front office people could be in some trouble. Which it would be insane to me when you consider the assets that they've managed to stockpile. It's been incredible. And they already made one bad trade because they were trying to make the playoffs last yep. year, this Plumlee trade. Yep. The, part of the reason they did that was like, oh, this is really going to weaken Portland <laughs> to get Plumlee off of his roster. And then, of course, the guy they sent there was way better than Plumlee. Yes. Um, the other thing that I thought w- was interesting was what the market is going to be like for dumping salary uh, and and also the number of teams that are impacted in terms of the luxury tax, right? Yep. So like in our exercise, a, a lot of teams, Charlotte, for example, if they're going to fill out a roster, they've basically, after that Howard trade, have like $2 million left below the tax. And Michael Jordan seems unlikely to ever pay the tax. So they're either going to need to make some cost moves. They have no backup point guard on the roster other than Briante Weber. So they need to get someone else in there. And, and their assets are very limited. Uh, another team, Memphis, has $20 million under the tax, but they need to re-sign Jermichael Green, Tony Allen, and Zach Randolph. The, they could be impacted there. Uh, Milwaukee, if they re-sign Tony Snell at his market value, they're going to be a little bit over the tax. They might try to move on from Spencer Hawes, but th- that, that could prove difficult. There are, uh, Washington is tax-limited if they're going to re-sign Otto Porter at something close to the max Detroit same situation with KCP so you've got a lot of teams that not only are they over the cap but they may not even be using you know the taxpayer mid-level to add salary at this point and they may in fact be trying to drop salary and so what is the market going to be like for a Spencer Hawes six million dollars and kind of dead money Josh McRoberts with the heat six million dollars and kind of dead money are there going to be a lot of teams like Chicago or Brooklyn or Indiana, if the Paul George leaves, that'll be kind of clearing houses for the salary. Or is there going to be like only one team that has that, and they can start to extract a, a ransom for it? No, I agree with you. I mean, I think I think that's you know, I I think a lot of people are thinking about things like last year and like the last couple of years. There was a lot of money to burn, and uh, I think the way you guys, you know, I think Dan brought it up towards the end of the pod. We were saying, I think you know, maybe we've underestimated the ability of these teams to to get out from under some money. And I, I think that's, I think that's a really interesting point. You know, you look at, you know, you mentioned the, uh, you mentioned the Hornets and like, you know, do they, do they say try to unload Jeremy Lamb somewhere, right? With two years and sure. about 15 million left. I mean, that probably cost them a first round pick. And, you know, that's, you know, that's a pretty high price to pay to get off of some money. But to your point, they have a roster where, They've still got some holes left. They don't have that many guys under contract, and they're already bumping up against the tax. 
So, you know, in like Washington, for example, you know, I, I believe they're going to re-sign Otto Porter. And I think part of the, the motivation to trade Andrew Nicholson at the deadline, in addition to getting Bogdanovich for the stretch one, was to that they had as much space as possible to, you know, bring back Otto and stay under the tax. You know, because again, Washington, like, like, uh, like Charlotte and New Orleans, those are the three teams that have never paid the tax before. Um, so, you know, I, I, I am really curious to see how that plays out because I think that, you know, for the teams that are under the cap and are willing to take on some money, whether it's a Sacramento or a Chicago or an Indiana, if they move on from Paul George or um, or Brooklyn, if they don't make a big signing. You know, I, I think those are those are all teams that could really, you know, start to get some real prices from teams uh, trying to get off of some of this money to go after bigger names. Yeah, I think what we've seen, for example, Nicholson had a little over 20 million left on his contract and they were able to extract a first round pick. Uh, Brooklyn was from Washington to get off of, of that money. So, I, it, you know, it seems like, and there have been a few other transactions of that ilk lately as well. So what I've kind of think is, you know, if you have 20 million in dead money, you know, it's a first round pick to get off of that. I think if anything, that price is going to go up. Uh, and, and we saw, for example, with this Chris Paul trade recently, you know, him opting in, it became a lot easier to do that than if they just had to get off of Ryan Anderson's money. You know, Zach Lowe reported that there really weren't any takers for someone to just take Ryan Anderson, that it would have taken as many as one first round, maybe even two first round picks is what some teams were asking for. And Anderson yep. is not de- he's not dead salary. No, he's due. 20 million a year for the next three years, but he'll probably get to be, he's probably a little overpaid now and will start to get to be more overpaid later. But so if you're a team like Portland, for example, that's another one of these taxed out teams that did absolutely nothing in our simulation, new Orleans as well. If they can't bring back holiday, you know, what are they going to, or if they do bring back holiday, they can't really add to the team because of the tax. So, you know, if you're going to try and get off of an Alan crab or an Evan Turner or Lou all still for the Lakers and the price is going to be exorbitant. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's why, you know, that's why I didn't really have as much of a problem with what the Lakers did um, moving Mozgov and Russell uh, for Brooke Lopez when they did, because I think the price for those guys is only going to go up um, because, it, you know, especially if the cap, you know, I think the cap's probably going to jump more than people think right now, just because for, for next season, because I'm sure we'll have more playoff games just kind of by default. Uh, and also I think some of this uh, sponsorship money is going to start to jump into yeah. the pool, which will help. But a we'll also bit. remember, though, Tim, uh, there's still even to get to the 99 million this year. There's still some shortfall money. There is still about 160 million dollar shortfall. So that's basically, you know, five million bucks per team. That's just artificially up due to revenue. So even if revenue goes up very significantly next, like if the cap were based only on revenue this year, it would be right around 94. So next year, probably teams will spend enough that there won't be a shortfall. In fact, they're projecting a little bit of an overage this year. So I do think, you know, probably the current projection is 102. I wouldn't expect it to go much beyond that uh, because, I mean, that that already forecasts in a significant revenue increase because a lot of the 99 that we have $5 million of that is shortfall and that 5 million is going to go away. Sure. No. And I, I wasn't trying to say it was going to go to like 110. I just think it might be like yeah. 103 or 104, but even then, yeah. but, but even then if we're getting into a situation where, you know, if it is 102 or 103 or 104 and it's another three to $5 million jump, there's going to be even fewer teams next year that are going to have money to, you know, to go out and well, take on dead money at and, that point. And all these contracts that got signed in the summer of 2016, those have 4.5% annual raises. So it's going to, just the increases on a lot of the existing contracts will outstrip the cap increase. Yep. No, and it's it's going to make for some really interesting choices. Like, you know, and you've got, you know, like a team like Washington where, you know, I think you guys kind of summed it up perfectly on on the pod where they need to keep Otto Porter. But, you know, like I, I think Brooklyn, I think there's a pretty good chance Brooklyn comes out of the gate and offers him a max or really thinks about it. And yeah. if, if he gets a full max, you know, I think he stays in Washington, but I'm not a hundred percent convinced. And the, and that all comes back to the tax. And, you know, I think, I think, you know, KCP is the same thing. I think KCP stays no matter what in Detroit, but if somebody comes out and offers him a full max and they, you know, I, I don't have their number, I'm looking up their numbers right now, but that would, I think, push them into the tax. And, you know, I, I'm not completely convinced that that's a team that, especially after taking a step back last season is going to be willing to, to jump up into the tax. Uh, yeah. If, if uh, KCP 
gets the max, Detroit would be about $4 million into the tax uh, pending other moves. Right. And and that would probably, you know, it'd be pretty hard for them, I think, probably at that point to get out of it. So, um, you know, yeah. So I, it, 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 that is really going to be fascinating to me because I, I think that, I think the tax line, like you said, for a lot of teams is going to really start to work the way the league wanted it to when they put it in a few years ago before the salaries started kind of going up steeply because it is going to really um it is really going to hamstring some of these teams uh from making the kind of moves i think they would make in a vacuum if if they didn't have to worry about it what's interesting you say the way the league wanted it to work there are a couple of components that i mean what we were sold on with the tax and we never really saw this happen because the cap went up so much as to make it irrelevant in the last few years of the previous cba but we were sold on was the tax is going to make it uh it's going to allow small market teams to compete, right? Like these big market teams, they're spending so much. The normal tax is just not enough of a deterrent. Yeah. You know, the Lakers, the Knicks, they're spending so much. Not that like, I mean, the Lakers were the only team that was spending so much in tax and really benefiting from it. But that's uh, another aspect. But I think what we're really going to see here now is like, all right, the Warriors, they're going to pay the tax. The Clippers have paid the the tax before. They can afford it. Houston won't this year, but probably if they re-sign Chris Paul, they're probably going to have to. That's a, a huge market, great revenue stream for that team. And what we're really going to see is the teams that aren't as profitable. Detroit, Washington, New Orleans, Memphis. Portland is not as profitable, though they have an owner who can and will spend at times. But the teams that are really hamstring, Milwaukee, uh, Charlotte, these teams that are like, okay, we just we can't even use our our mid-level exception now because we're so close to the tax, even when you know they could really use a player to, to get better. These are not like great teams that we're talking about. These kind of middling teams are not going to spend because of the tax, so they can't kind of get better to take the next step. And then the teams that are really good, a, a lot of them teams that are you know in larger markets or when larger market teams gets good, the tax doesn't actually affect them. So I, my theory has always been, that the tax from a com- competition standpoint hurts small markets much more than big markets. We saw it with OKC back when they had to trade or had to quote unquote trade James Harden. But from a business standpoint, the tax is fantastic for the small market teams because now it's just like, well, we can't go into the tax. We like, we basically have a hard cap here. So there's only so much we can spend. And now with the new national TV deal and revenue sharing, we're always going to be profitable. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And, you know, I, this isn't quite in the, the mocks off season, but something I wanted to wrap up with you about is something, you know, as you're, you're very into the cap and all the, the, the minutia of it as I am. And, you know, it's been, it's been fascinating to me to see how this designated player exception has begun to shake out. Oh yeah, here and, we go. And I, and I was the one who first reported that back in December as a, a component in the new CBA. And, um, you know, I wrote a column about it today for the Washington Post. And, you know, I thought the most fascinating thing to happen on Monday night uh, at the award show was nothing that happened during the award show, but was when after Russell Westbrook spent 20 minutes thanking everybody who ever lived in Oklahoma, other than Kevin Durant, for, um, for the, you know, winning MVP and being a part of that team. He came into his press conference and I asked him, well, after thanking everybody in Oklahoma, are you willing to stay there with the designated player exception for a long time? And he did everything he could to not answer my question. And there is, I think, a a pretty strong belief from a lot of people I've talked to around the league that he is not going to sign this extension on July 1st. And... You know, if you look at the three prominent guys who are on the move right now, most likely if he if he decides not to do that, you know, you've got Westbrook in Oklahoma City, uh, who that rule is basically created for. I think it's safe yeah. to say. Well, well, let me let me break in quickly on Westbrook. Well, just just really because, just yeah. really just before I, I'll let you yeah. answer everything at the end. You know, you've got Westbrook, who you know at this point I think is going to not at least from what people. I've, I've talked to think probably isn't going to sign that extension at least right away, which puts Oklahoma city in a weird spot. You've got Gordon Hayward, who Utah would like to give it to who can't. And you have Indiana who held out that that was their one chance to maybe keep Paul George and they can't give it to him either. And now he's going to leave. So it's just yeah. kind of fascinating that this one thing that was supposed to, you know, help incumbent teams so far. And if you want to even go back to include DeMarcus cousins back at the deadline, you know, the four issue, four situations besides Steph Curry, where this has come up so far, it has completely backfired on trying to keep guys with their current teams. 
And you could even say that Jimmy Butler's situation where Chicago would have felt like, hey, we don't we don't necessarily want to pay him yep. this contract to contributed to his trade as well. Westbrook, I would put in a little bit of a different category because he won't actually get any more money by locking in with that extension now because he'll be he was kind of grandfathered in in a special way. So he'll have 10 years of service next year anyway. So he'll be eligible for that exact same contract as a free agent, regardless of what happens this year. Right. Um, and so it doesn't really make any financial sense other than just locking in a year early. And so I think certainly, especially because we've seen, for example, Oklahoma City can get a bit stingy. It may behoove him to continue to be in a situation where he puts pressure on them and especially committing to sign that now, you know, until they've even made their summer moves. They could use their taxpayer mid-level. For example, Andre Robertson is is a free agent. There's other stuff they can do to make it competitive. So I understand. I mean, I'm not saying it's fait accompli that he's going to leave if he doesn't sign this thing. I think he has other reasons. But I think in general, your point is a good one, which is, hey, what a surprise. Like you tried to artificially constrain the free market again. And it ended up is looking like totally backfiring. And, and because even for like kind of middling guys like a Paul George, for example, as great as he is, Jimmy Butler, as great as he is, those guys signing them 28, 29, five year deal, 35 percent of the cap. I mean, those are going to end up being bad contracts. Like there's really only like five guys in the league at any given time with eight or nine years of service who that five year deal, they actually would be worth signing them to. Yeah, no, totally, and it it, it really is. Um, it really is going to make. Uh, it really is going to make that rule. You know, not completely obsolete, but there are just very few guys that are ever actually going to um, to sign it. And while I agree with you about Westbrook, and I, I think those are valid reasons for him not to agree to sign it right away, I, I think if he's not willing to agree to sign it right away, I, I like. I think his name is going to immediately come up in trade talks. And it, it, if, if this last few weeks hasn't been crazy enough, I think it's going to be even more crazy because if I, if I'm the thunder, I can't, I really can't risk him getting to free agency and potentially leaving for nothing. Uh, and I, I think that would just, you know, that after losing Durant for nothing, if you, if you lose him on top of it for nothing, I think it would be catastrophic. So uh, that's not anything anybody's really talked about that much. Um, but I do think that it's going to be, um, it's going to be fascinating to see how all that stuff plays out, both with, you know, with him and, and Hayward and George, because, you know, like you said, I mean, it, to me, even with Paul, even with Chris Paul agreeing to go play with James Harden in, uh, in, in Houston, it's just, you know, the league, you know, for so long, the league has tried to make it where the teams have the hammer in these negotiations. It could kind of determine where these guys end up. And more and more, I think we've, we've come to realize that, you know, as players have gotten smarter about their place in the market and, and the way they can dictate things, uh, it's really become about what players want to do. And then based off that, how teams are reacting to try to make it happen as opposed to the other way around. That, that seems right to me too. And also just that players, maybe they're getting just so much money now that they're like, all right, an extra 5 million bucks a year just doesn't really mean that much to me. Maybe that's kind of how they're feeling. And yeah, it's really, to me, my solution always been, all right, once you've got, there's just one max and it's 35% and there's none of this, all right, you have to meet a certain criteria and only yep. certain times you can offer it and stuff. Just like, just make everyone eligible for for 35% and then, you know, the big negotiation happens after your rookie deal. Uh, but, you know, the team, the league apparently, you know, doesn't want to do it. It never made sense that you can only get the 35% max when you're too old to be worth it, you know, with 10 plus years of experience. That's a relic of, the I think the original CBA negotiations, where at that time guys like Carl Malone, Michael Jordan, uh, although he, he retired shortly thereafter, Patrick Ewing, like those were the main guys in CBA, and also there was an artificial uh, depression in the talent in the league. So that some of the best players were thirty five, and so it's like, all right, you know, we should uh, allow these guys to get paid thirty five percent. But it really, you know, the the players who should be getting thirty five percent is like you know Giannis Antetokounmpo right now. You know, he's like you should be getting it when you're in your fifth, sixth, seventh year in the league. That's when you're at your best. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's very, um, yeah, it's very true. And, and like you said before, it's, it's just another example of the league, uh, you know, over and over again, trying to artificially legislate uh, actions from, from players and instead uh, seeing it backfire and leading to the opposite of what they wanted to happen. I mean, it's, it's really happened ever since the 2011 lockout. It's just happened 
over and over again, where, you know, prior moves that they made to rectify in their minds, prior mistakes only led to, you know, further issues down the road that, you know, prevented teams from doing stuff, whether it was, you know, the Lamar Saldridge situation where he couldn't sign an extension, then he left, or, you know, all the various things that, that came to, came to pass that led to Kevin Durant leaving. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it is just very funny how, how that's kind of repeated itself over and over again the last few years. Since we actually haven't talked in a while, uh, who is like the one free agent that you, you find like most interesting this year? Um, well, I, I think there's a couple ways to answer that. I think Hayward is fascinating because I, I really feel like, you know, if, if Gordon Hayward leaves Utah, they are screwed. And it, it, it's, he's not the same player as Kevin Durant, but it feels like that kind of a moment for that franchise where if he leaves, I almost feel like the, the, the trade clock starts on Rudy Gobert, and it's just a matter of time before they start entertaining offers for him because um, I just don't really see where uh, – I don't see where Utah goes if he leaves because I, I just, they're just stuck in the middle of nowhere and without any real way to add another star or two to really be yeah. a competitor in the, uh, in the West. So, I mean, I think in, in one sense there's him – I, I like I said before, I think the Lowry situation is really interesting because I, I he is a kind of a material guy as it is, and I, I don't um, I don't quite know what his market's going to be, and I think if he gets insulted by um, by the Rockets or by the Rockets by the Raptors, I could I could see him saying the hell with it and leaving, um, even if he gets the same or less elsewhere. Um, but I like I said, I'm not sure what his market's going to be, and and also I'm I'm very curious to see what happens with Andre Iguodala. Um, like I think a lot of people have kind of assumed his thing is done and I'm not a hundred percent convinced it's done. I think he'll be back with the Warriors, but I've also heard that if he gets a four-year deal, he will leave. And, um, I I just think that contract's going to look very bad very quickly. Um, if it's over, like, I think you guys had him at three for 45 with the, it looks like the third year was half guaranteed. Yeah. Although Um, he also got a no trade clause, which was, which which, was part of why it was as cheap as it was. Right. So, so maybe they come up with a deal like that, but I think even 15 a year could be pushing it in a couple of years for him. Um, and if it's any more than that, I think it's going to look really bad. Um, so I, I guess those are a couple of guys that, that are intriguing to me, but um, I'm more just curious for like all these second tier guys that yeah. in the past have gotten overpaid and now are just, I think, going to maybe get way less than, than, they're, than they're going to just from, like I said, that was kind of my initial thought. And then after listening to the, the mock off season, I, I really felt that way. But what about you? Who are some, who are some guys that you're really curious to see what they do? Yeah, I'm really, I mean, I think the max guys are going to get paid. I'm certainly curious to see where someone like Millsap is going to go. Yeah. Millsap and Lowry both fall into that yeah. same category for me. Yeah. But, but because I, I'm just like such a nerd about like the overall market and what guys are going to get paid. The two guys I think are very interesting benchmarks are George Hill and Danilo Gallinari, right? Yep. Gallo. The Gallo contract, guy, we should talk about that quick. I, I was fascinated yeah. by the Gallo contract. Like, I, I thought I thought he would get not a not a four for 80 like Anderson, but I thought there'd be a pretty robust market for him. And he wound up getting three for 47 with the last year almost completely non-guaranteed. And I, I just was really surprised that the market wasn't better for him than that. Yeah, at 28, I mean, I think he just... The fact that he hasn't played in over 60 games, I think, in the last, like, five years right. or something, he's got a, a lot of... Uh, There's he'll something get these, always wrong with him. Yeah, he'll get some nagging injuries. He obviously had, you know, a back surgery. He had that that uh, failed ACL repair, and then finally uh, he got a new one, but he missed, you know, yep. a, a year and a half yep. th- for that. And, and it, it, he's really, I think, a guy who is probably going to be a defensive liability going forward at either forward position, and so he's got a little bit of limited utility at that point i think the how bad denver was defensively last year kind of reflected poorly on him i would expect him to get more than he did in our exercise uh, because he is still a very nice offensive player but it, it is hard i mean what do you see as a potential landing spot for him we had him in dallas i think you know, dallas is a, i think dallas made a lot of sense but and i i wasn't yeah. even saying you guys were wrong it was just again it was like in listening to the pod as it played out and like kind of doing the math in my head as guys were going different places. Uh, it really just kind of, it, again, like the George Hill thing, you know, it just reinforced to me that there's going to be a pretty steep cliff. And I, I think there's going to be a lot of guys who are really, really mad about the market they have. And uh, I think it's going to, for the first time in a while, be a real team friendly market where again, like if a team waits for a week 
I think there's there's going to be an opportunity to really get some bargain deals on guys because they're just going to look around and go, what the hell happened? Where was all this money that was here a year ago? Yeah, I think the agents who strike quickly in accepting offers for their guys that might be, you know, a little bit below what the market was set for last year. Yep. I think they'll make out well. Yeah, I'd be surprised if there's not a ton of deals on Saturday for that reason. Like if I was an agent, I would be I would be going hard right away. You know, especially like you said, if some of these like good players that aren't elite guys and aren't bargain basement guys, I mean, that that middle class is going to shrink pretty fast. Uh, in terms of their their availability market, and so if I was an agent, I would be hammering, um, I'd be hammering any deal I could get uh, right away to try to make sure my guy got paid and off the table before um, before things got you know pretty pretty soft pretty quick. Especially because there's really even when you're talking about below what guys got paid last year, we're still talking about life changing money, right? If you yep. can get a four year deal for you know, 11 or 12 million a year, you know, you're, you're set for life. If you're getting a one year, $8 million deal, I mean, I think there could be, we could see guys of pretty equivalent skill, you know, who get deals that are that disparate just based on kind of how the market plays out, whether teams, a certain team likes them, whether their agent decides to jump on on an early offer. Well, and it does, and it does make me wonder where, like, I think there's been a lot of talk about guys like KCP and Porter getting big deals, and I still think they will. But even even the very top restricted guys, I am curious, if they don't get an offer right away, I, I could see them struggling to come to an agreement. You know, like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if a Mason Plumley ended up with a qualifying offer or Bogdan- Boyan Bogdanovich ended up with a qualifying offer. Like, because I, 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 some, some of those, like, second-tier restricted free agents, I just don't see – where their market's going to be like, like Bogdanovich's camp, I think thinks he's going to get 50 million a year and, or yeah, at least wants that. I, and I, I just that can't, too, and, and I that can't. is absolutely completely insane. Yeah. But, but look, I think there's a lot of guys, like you said, I think there's a lot of guys who are going to base their, what they're going to get off of what people got last year. And I think I'm just fascinated by what's going to, I'm fascinated about what's going to happen the first few days of free agency. Cause I think there's going to be a lot of people a lot of players and a lot of agents who are rudely uh, come to a rude awakening that there just isn't very much money uh, on the table for their guys to sign for. Yeah. And you could see a couple of teams totally misread the market too, though, and, and sign, you know, where it's like, all right, we had a certain amount of money, you know, they could pull like the Lakers did with Mozgov last year, right. Where it's like, okay, we, we, we're going to get this guy who's mediocre. Like we saw what the market was last year. This guy's willing to sign. Let's do it now. And then you look around, it's like, oh man, like this, uh, we could have gotten other guys who are way better for way less money and way way less years. And the restricted guys you mentioned too are really interesting because KCP, who's he represented by? Rich Paul and Clutch Sports, right? So they they have a history of playing out the restricted free agents. And out of borders with David Falk, who does the same thing. Yeah, most recently with Greg Monroe, uh, which worked out okay and uh, didn't go as well with Jared Sollinger. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That is uh, that is very true. So when he said, "Like, I, I, there's no point in negotiating because Danny Ainge won't give me the max." Yes, I mean that was uh, that didn't work out so great. I think it's safe to say. Um, but uh, but all right, well, Nate, uh, this was great. I'll let you get going because I held you a little long. Uh, I know. Uh, I think you guys, are, everyone, should go listen to the mock off season. I think you said on the pod you're off uh, Thursday. This is coming out Friday. Um, morning, but you're going to have a uh, podcast probably what every day for the next couple of weeks, I imagine through. Free yeah, agency. we'll probably, we'll probably record at like two in the morning, West coast time. Once we get those first set of deals uh, right at the very start of free agency. And then, yeah, every, every single day until, you know, for the next three or four days until the deals kind of start trickling, uh, trickling down. Right. No. So anybody, like I said, anybody interested uh, in this stuff should go listen to the mock-off season. It's a really good listen as always. And uh, Nate Nate knows the minutiae of the cap better than anybody else. So be sure to listen to the podcast as uh, things go on from there. So thanks thanks for the time, Nate. And uh, I'm sure I'll be talking to you over the next couple of weeks. All right. Thanks again to Nate for coming on the podcast. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation with him. I think for any basketball fan, this will be a really good primer along with the mock-off season for what's what's to come tonight. Um, you know, we'll have total coverage of free agency at the Washington Post uh, on our website, on Twitter. I'll be all over the place. Be grading every significant trade and uh, and free agency signing. We'll be recapping each night's moves. Uh, should be um, a pretty interesting setup. So, um, 
you know, I, I think any basketball fan should should enjoy our coverage. And, and Neil Greenberg, I'm sure, will be chipping in with stuff. And Candace Buckner will be doing a great job on the Wizards. And Jerry Brewer will be writing columns. So we should have a lot of great stuff. I'm really looking forward to getting into it. This is the uh, this is a really busy time of the year for anybody who's a, a basketball writer like myself. You know, this is this is really where the rubber hits the road. So it should be a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to getting started. So, um, you know, with that, you can you find my work on Twitter, at Tim Bontemps. You can find me on Facebook, at Tim Bontemps NBA. Uh, you can find all my work either in the pages of the Washington Post or on our website, washingtonpost.com slash sports. Um, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review on uh, iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Uh, really, it really helps us out and, and uh, helps the, the podcast get out there. So thank you for that. Uh, also, please subscribe to the Monday Morning Post Up, my weekly newsletter. Um, I really appreciate everybody who's gotten into that and uh, has has signed up for it. Hopefully we can keep growing that as the summer continues. Going to have a lot of great stuff on there. Um, in order to subscribe, go to wapo.st slash newsletter. That's wapo.st slash newsletter. Um, you know, thanks again for uh, for listening. Been a, been a busy week with podcasts. Like I said, uh, I think on yesterday's pod after talking to Tony Johnson, Salt Lake Tribune, going to try to have a bunch of these over the next you know week or so might just do some quick updates at night and we'll see how things go but um definitely going to have some reactions after the big signings you know, when gordon hayward signs or blake griffin signs um you know we'll get some people on to talk about what happened and how it played out so uh should be a lot of fun so um thank you in advance to everybody who uh, listens to those and everybody who's listened this week and looking forward to getting back into this so uh enjoy free agency uh starting tonight and we'll talk to y'all again soon